Welcome, everyone. I'm here for one of my stories. This is Lindsay Dunn, and today I am here with two of my homies. This is sort of a reunion of the Mortal Kombat tour um, back in back in the day. With me is Kles Black Nerd Magic. How are you doing this evening? Doing good. Doing fine. Happy to be with the both of you and reunited and ready to talk about some M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Wonderful. And then we have uh, a huge YouTuber that is just continuing to get those subscribes, Shari Chala. How are you this evening? Doing good, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me again. Nice to see you again, Kayla. Nice to see you again, too, man. Awesome. Okay, so... Without further ado, I'll tell you what our topic is for this evening. We are going to be talking about M. Night Shyamalan and his catalog of films as we prepare for Knock at the Cabin. So is everybody going to see it this week already, I guess? Do you guys have tickets or a press screening coming up? Um, I'll be getting tickets. So me and my girlfriend are making it a date to go see it. <laughs> Wonderful. Yep, uh, the theater neighborhood. I'm going Thursday night. Pretty excited. Awesome. Yep, I'm going to be seeing it tomorrow night. So I clocked in just at the, at the right time. Um, <clears throat> but yes, absolutely. This is a director that, of course, has quite a history. And we probably all have a varied history with his films and seeing his trajectory and how he started big and then had sort of a weird he's had a weird trajectory in his career and I thought it was worth talking about as we prepare for this movie so uh I'm ready to dive in I'm going to start with just a brief history of him very brief uh born in 1970 he was born in India raised in Pennsylvania he was raised Hindu but he has schooling in both Roman Catholic and Episcopalian schools, was given a Super 8 camera by his father, and his father wanted him to be a doctor, but his mother supported his dreams of being a filmmaker, and the filmmaking passion of his won, and that's what he, obviously he ended up doing and has given his life to. Um, so what, you know, what have I missed in there? What do you guys know about his background that you think might be important to consider as we prepare to look at his movies? Um, I would say the interesting thing about him before, uh, he really splashed on the scene with the sixth sense is that he was a writer for Stuart Little. Uh, it, I remember, seeing the Stuart Little films when I was a kid, and I did not know that M. Night Shyamalan was a part of at least one of them. Um, I don't know too much about his background, so I'm kind of glad that you were able to give a brief overview of um, where he was born and where he comes from and whatnot. I pretty much know him to be just a very humble guy, you know, not a guy who's who has an ego or who's a grandstander or anything. He's a guy who generally just, who genuinely loves to make movies, and even if his movies are good and bad, that's one thing I've always had respect him for is that he really does love what he does. Wow, Kales. Okay, coming in hot with the opinions there. I, I don't know if everybody's going to agree that he is doesn't have an ego. There's quite a there's quite a line of people that think ego is maybe one of the reasons they don't like him, or or at least the way that they 
they see how he thinks about ego. Like he's, people think he has a big ego because of some of the decisions he's made in his movies. But so you saying he's humble is very shocking to me, but I love it. I love it. Like what, tell me, what do you mean by that, that you see him as being humble? Well, I'm only going off really off of select number of interviews and um, conversations I've seen him have over the years. Now, as far as the full thing, as far as deep diving into who he is, uh, hey, I'm the least bit of the expert about who M. Night Shyamalan is. But for what I have seen of him, he's a guy who is generally dedicated. When he has an idea, he truly goes for what he wants. And he is all about really casting, you know, sometimes unknown actors, or even when he has star actors, he's all about trying to give them the best platform to really do their job. I mean, it's, it's different from seeing a guy like him and maybe like another big time director, I won't say any names, but guys who are really so full of themselves that it's kind of like, you do, you need to do what I tell you to do because I've done this and made this film, and so I'm the expert. I've never really gotten that vibe from him. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. from people who from people who work with him and from what I've seen of him, I've seen him as a guy who doesn't really have that big problem of being the wanting to be the center of attention and thinking that he's superior to everybody else around him. Charlie, what do you think? What's your what is your what do you know about his history and what do you think about the whole humble versus ego dilemma or qualities that we're discussing? About his history, I know about as much as you mentioned, actually. And uh, there's one thing that also I, I noticed, which was he made a lot of home movies. And every time there's a new home release, which he does of his movies, apparently, except for one movie, I believe, all of his um, bonus features come with one short film, which he made at, when he was young. So it's sort of like a look into what made him a director. Um as for the humbleness versus ego thing, I try and it's funny because there are points where I can make like the argument that he has a bit of an ego. Like I think this was specifically in one movie, which we will we'll talk about it when we get there. Uh, but um, as far as I know from like everyone who's who's worked with him in interviews and stuff like that, in fact, as recently as yesterday, um, there was an interview with with uh, Batista about this movie, which is about to come out. And he was talking about it, like, you know, how, as a director, he's he's not just giving, like, simple, like, okay, go over here, and this is how we're going to do this, you know. It's also, like, talking through, like, emotions and, you know, like, how to, how to be a better actor, how to make certain scenes sort of play out in a certain way, and, you know, what to, what to bring forward and what to, um, uh, you know, uh, what to suppress, essentially. And, um, yeah, I think I think that way that's a mark of a pretty good director in my opinion. Personally, I haven't watched a lot of interviews of him. I just know him from his movies. I don't always get involved with people's public image. Um, obviously, he does love what he does. Like you said, Coles, he's made decisions that have been unpopular. He's made movies that people told him not to make, and he went ahead. He definitely has creativity and vision a very specific style so there's a lot to like about him I've always been a fan even when um he made movies that at the time you know at the time they were unpopular with people even then but I would it's kind of like if you you know if you're a parent and you have a kid no matter what that kid does you think it's great right so I would be like 
oh come on guys he's just doing this and it's okay like i would i would feel a need to defend because i just wanted once you really like what someone does you kind of want to the best for them you want to support them all the way so i was kind of that now i'm a little bit more like okay yeah this wasn't my favorite um but i do appreciate how he's always had a really unique vision moving into that unique vision i want us to spend just a little time talking about what the qualities are if you're to describe him to somebody as to what makes him unique or you know what are the qualities that he brings to the table you know how would you describe him if you were like just describing some somebody to somebody that had never seen one of his movies before and you wanted to let them know what they should expect what are some words or phrases you would use to describe his style um i would say the one word that i would describe him is surprise he is a guy who loves surprising the audience and he, that's how he broke onto the scene with The Sixth Sense, which has one of the most famous film twists of all time. And it's become a trademark of his. Um, no matter what film he has done, you know that towards the end, you're going to get a twist. Now, whether that twist is built up organically or whether it is very a cheap trick, uh, you just know that eventually he's going to surprise you with something by the end. It's going to make you say, whoa, and it's kind of kind of going to make you look at the film that you've been watching for the last hour and a half or two hours and make kind of re-question and rethink some things that you saw. And I do appreciate that sense of wanting to build up and start a conversation. Uh, the one thing that me and my girlfriend have when we watch a film of his is that we'll kind of turn and look at each other and we'll talk about elements of the film and we'll start to think to ourselves, okay, so this twist, you know, it kind of makes me rethink about what this character was doing or what this character was saying or what are the themes of the story or maybe the manner in which could the story be you know, a prequel to something else, or could it have a connection to this film he's done? It, he, he's a guy that inspires a lot of dialogue. And that's something you don't get. That's something that you would rather have in a filmmaker than a guy who just makes films and you see them. And then after after like a couple of weeks, you don't even remember them. So one thing about him is that he will surprise you and make you, you know, really just uh, be shocked or make you kind of rethink things when it comes to his films. Uh, I would say unique, actually. Um, I think one thing that's always struck out to me as, as he's a filmmaker is that everything that I've seen from him, almost everything, actually, he, he brings something to the table that not a lot of other directors would be doing. And whether or not that works, whether or not that's 100% executed to what, you know, I guess, what people want to see... At the end of the day, I can still watch one of his movies, whether it's something like um, A Lady in the Water or uh, Split or um, Old, especially. And I can look at that and go, you know what? It's maybe there's some things like based on the material or something like that. I feel like Old is based on a, on a, a graphic novel or something. Mm -hmm. um, but like even then, despite that, it's what he brings to the table and how he tells that story that I always find very interesting so no matter what I'm always like batting for him as a, as a filmmaker and that's why I end up recommending him still I'm like you guys I don't know how everyone's going to react to it but I recommend seeing it because it's not unlike something you're seeing from another director and originality is something that we talk a lot about especially with movies these days you know sometimes because there's so many sequels and remakes and yada, yada, yada. but like here's a man who's trying trying actively even with I'm 
I don't know if he's fully followed knock at the cabin's book to a T. We'll see. But um, it's something he's doing, which is different. And so I appreciate that. Okay. So we have surprise. We have unique. I want to throw in relationships or relational into the into the the phrase here into the fold just because i feel like he's really interested a lot of times he'll put people in a situation and he kind of allows the relationships or the dynamics to form organically he's really interested in like building a scene and then helping us see the people in that scene and how they relate to each other often sometimes people are thrown together other times they're a family, like with signs, but I appreciate how he takes time with those relationships, and we really feel like we get to know the characters, I feel, through the course of the movie. Um, it's not, it's not like a quick, yeah, it's not a quick uh, here and that's all you, all you get. It's, uh, he's trying, he really tries to form a really good portrait of what the character is, not just who they are, not just like who they are now, but thinking about their past and who they were also and making it like the person they are today is because of their past and they've been led up to this point somehow. Actually, that's a pretty good um, way of looking at his films. I have noticed that the one film that br that brings up to mind about relationships is Signs. It's a, it's a film all about the family uh you know people look at it it's just a film about aliens and crop circles and you know the spiritual warfare that mel gets his character is going through but at the end of the day it's a family film and it really makes you kind of just you know become more communicative and more engaged with the people you care for because for one you never know if they're going to be here the next day and two at the end of the day you know when when everybody has maybe walked away from you or cast you out, the only people that maybe have your back or that still love you and support you is family. I was just gonna add, like, um, that that's a great example of family for sure, especially in science. Um, the other one I was gonna say was, in fact, very recently, was it was an old, which is, you know, we are seeing that the stuff that's happening is all sorts of strange, but it does hone in on the fact that, you know, these, um, especially the, the core family, you know, with Wicked Creeps and Gil Garcia Bernal as the parents, like uh, that connection that has been lost between them and then, their, you know, their kids as a result of it and then eventually building that back up, you know, it's like, say what you want about the movie and we will. Um, it's um, it, it, that, that theme comes through, you know, that that is something that he very much hones in on and um, that strengthens along that one very long day um between the especially between the two siblings later on as well mm -hmm. about suspense i think he's known as like a suspense i think he, he, people very much were like oh he's like kind of like hitchcock you know he's putting his cameo in every movie and he's building the suspense now like Colette said sometimes that suspense builds up and you're like what this is what we're leading up to that's weird or that's not that great um, sometimes it is, but there is that element of just, he really knows how to build a suspenseful tone and make you kind of think, what is going to happen next? And that's, and you know, the, what happens next, I think it's something that has followed his whole career. You know, the sixth sense was a gift and a curse 
because it's a gift because it put him on the map, made him one of Hollywood's brightest and, um, you know, up and coming directors. It was a box office phenomenon. You know, people still quote lines from this day. I see dead people. Uh, and it has also one of the greatest child actor performances ever from Haley Joe Osmond. And, you know, it's an iconic film. It's a film that's going to stand the test of time. But at the same time, it's been somewhat of a detriment to M. Night Shyamalan because whenever you say M. Night Shyamalan, the first movie that people bring up is The Sixth Sense. And I think that he's made a couple of better films better than that. We'll get we'll get more into that when we go through his filmography. But it's a film that's followed him, and it's something that I don't think that he'll ever be able to really top from a public standpoint. And I feel that some of his missteps in his career have been the result of him trying to recapture that same Sixth Sense magic instead of just trying to really go his own way and just continuing organically doing what he's doing. Um, I'm not saying, that's not to say that his films are not organically made and that he's not creative, because he is. But I do feel like there, after Sixth Sense, there was a moment in time where he was trying to recapture that same sense and it kind of hurt um, his other films and kind of made them kind of um, inside jokes among the common public discourse. Yeah, I want to follow up on that, which is, I completely agree with all of that. I also couldn't help, but I can't help but think that a lot of that has to do with the commentary around it after Shyamalan made Sixth Sense, because it doesn't help when um, I remember all the articles and everything about it was like, oh, this guy's a master storyteller. He's got some insane twist, you guys. And, you know, it doesn't help when your entire public perception suddenly is like, that guy's got twists. We want to see what he does, you know, what he does next. And it doesn't help that I, I mean, I don't know how much it goes in terms of like, you know, the storytelling when it comes to like when it's the studio, because I think he's worked mostly with Universal pretty much his entire time. Um, but when it comes to that, it's like, you have to somewhat take a step and be like, you know, what if they were like, hey, you know what? People really want to see something here, which is going to surprise them. So what do you have that surprises us? Yeah. And you think of that from like a, from a studio point of view, they're like, we got to see the next surprise. You can show us what you got. And then somewhere along the way, it just became a thing where it's like every time you expect a twist. And so, I mean, that's fine, but also it suddenly started to be like, all right, we're watching a movie. We're going to see a twist coming. And, it, and, it, and even if it was something that was interesting, it was also something that was like a detriment, mostly because it was like, I knew there was going to be something. And, and, and I, and I, I hate, I don't, I don't necessarily enjoy expecting that, you know, like that aspect of it's going to happen. Um, and that especially happened with the last few movies like Glass and uh, Old. I was like, something's going to break. Of course it's going to like, you know, that's it's, it's going to happen. And so, I don't know, that sometimes kind of takes you out of the movie because sometimes, because even when you're in the suspense, you're like, something's going to happen. It's going to research shape the whole thing. You're going to watch the movie again and it's going to completely change the thing. I don't know. Great point. Uh, I do want to add one more thing that I was noticing. I watched rewatched some of the movies for this, and I was noting noticing this character trope of the innocent character or the pure character that came up a lot. So you could say in Signs um, that also in the movie Split, the sequel to Unbreakable, there was this oh, you're pure, Lady in the Water, Bryce Dallas Howard, her, her character. So, like, there are some characters that are almost too good for this world. 
And because of that, they're touched characters. This is a trope that's happened. It's not just him. Other people have done this before in fantasy and science fiction. But there are these touched characters or gifted characters. And they have trouble interacting with the rest of the world. They're out of step with other people. Yes, I would say that, you know, the trope is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I would say if it the way that it operates in the story is what you know, signifies whether it's worthy or unnecessary. Um, for instance, when you talk about Split and you talk about Anna Taylor-Joy's character, the reason why her being pure is, you know, a good trait for her character in that film is because towards the end, when um, McAvoy's character, the Horde, comes and wants to attack her, he start he sees that, oh, you've been, you're like me, you've been abused. You, you know, you have gone through trauma and pain like I have and everything, you know, so... Me and you have a kinship in a way. You know, you're not a monster like me. You know, you're just a regular person who's trying to get over this and trying to make a better life for themselves. And I can kind of see that. And I don't want to hurt you. Whether as in Lady in the Water, it just comes off as just gushy cinema, cinemalism, uh, um, cinematality, and just like, oh, you know, sunflower seeds and just like people holding hands and singing, we are the world. And it, it, it comes off just so just so just cheesy and everything and it kind of just taints the film for you it, it it's kind of like you know it makes it makes you feel like that everything is right in the world when that's not really the reality the reality is is that we are humans are complex you know i don't really believe that there is really a person that's really good or a person that's bad we all have our good traits and we all have our bad traits we have our good days and our bad days and i feel that Human emotion is a great area. You know, I, it's really hard to pinch a hole in somebody to being just a pure character. And I feel that that's where his sense of using these characters in these films kind of gets him in trouble. You know, it, especially if it doesn't act in accordance with the story. Uh, listen, I, I'm like the best person in the world, okay? No, I completely agree with that. Um, I don't know if it's in every movie. Like, I'm trying to remember the happening if there was anyone like that I'm missing something um but but um no i i know I, I do in fact bryce i uh bryce Howard, i really think it's two times you know because mm -hmm. um the village uh, the village the village as well she's the she's the good character um but uh yeah no i i mean i guess um i mean i like the morality aspect of it i mean yes there is no perfect person but um in a movie there's a perfect person you know, and, uh, and you can, it's the, the power of storytelling. So I think there is that one person who just is like, manages to just convey the, the best of, of everything, you know, like, like you can say whatever you want about Haley Joe Osmond in Sixth Sense as well, but he's a good, he's a good kid, you know, he's, he's got a pure heart. He's just, he's, he's just seeing some crazy stuff, you know, and, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, Otherwise, he's not a bad kid. Like he is a kid of the heart of gold, and you know, eventually, that's what that's what connects him with his with his mom as well towards the ending with Tony Collette. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that using that sense in a good way. Um, so I like that. I like that aspect of it. But it's always funny because every morality choice is there's a yin and yang sort of effect where it's like there is a good, but there's also equally a really really bad <laughs> in Shyamalan movies. Like you'll always have this one character who's like that guy's just the word we don't we don't like him like or, you know or something like that um like um, I don't know who the moral high ground is in old but the bad one was like 
the Rufus Sewell character, you know, it's like that guy sucks. You know, like, it's like, um, it's like that one character you have no remorse for. Um, so it's just about two extremes, I guess. It happens some, a lot of times. So, yeah, um, but, you know, it's a movie, I guess. So. Yeah. You're able to play around with those moralities. I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't pointing out that trope uh to judge it or say it was bad i think tropes are good i mean tropes mm-hmm. are tropes are familiar let's argue about it yes but um you know tropes are like our code and they're the things that are common like code we see like where would horror be without tropes i mean you need the person mm-hmm. running from the madman um but i i just i wanted to point it out as I think it's interesting because it says something about him as a director. He is interested in morality. He's interested in good and evil and what that looks like and how the how that can come into the world and the different ways that can look. In the movie Signs, there's really not a bad human. There's a bad alien. Um, but, you know, even the person, there's the person that ran over the wife and like that guy isn't a bad guy uh, that happens to be i'm not John, of course but it's like his character isn't a bad character uh so it's more just about how do you it can it can be like what does evil look like in the world what does good look like i think that's going to come up in knock at the cabin um who knows but it's just the theme i think he's definitely interested in um, maybe because of all that Catholic school and all that Episcopalian school. <laughs> As we think about him and what he brings to the table, in most all of his movies, he writes, directs, and produces his films. So I'm wondering, do you think there are some of those jobs he's good at, bad at? What do you think maybe... As far as him as a writer versus him as a director, where do his strengths lie? Should he be delegating some of those tasks to other people? And what are what would those tasks be? I would say his strengths lie in him as being a guy who knows how to create tension. Uh, you know, we talked about earlier how early in his career he was linked to Hitchcock and his way of building up pressure in films. And he still has that. Um, say what you will about the quality of his films, he knows how to build up some tension. Uh, the good old stand away, and he doesn't do it fast. He does it just very slow. Little tidbits of information, you know, eventually you get to the final act of his films, and then he'll just ratchet it up, and then boom, it all comes together really good, depending on the quality of the film. Uh, he is much better as a director, especially when it comes to certain films, like Say what you will about a film like Glass, which I was not a big fan of, but the way that he was able to direct the fight scenes in that film, given that the film didn't have that big of a budget, I thought it was unique. You know, closing closing in and showing a major close-up onto the characters' faces and showing their anguish and their, you know, intense looks of just, like, rage or in them expelling energy when they're fighting. I thought it was a very unique way of approaching fight sequences. And him knowing how to stage characters and how to, you know, be able to pace his films is a strength of his. Him as a writer, I would say early in his career, he had a really good handle on how to structure a film, you know, from the three acts to the way characters speak, to the way characters act in relation to each other, to the way everything adds up together. But I would say as of late, his writing has really hit kind of a, of a nosedive. And, and it's not really because he doesn't have ideas. It's just that he is not able to create these ideas that make for engaging films. Uh, take a film, for instance, such as The Happening. The Happening has 
great has a great theme to it. it it's all about the aspect of nature fighting back against humanity humanity who, who has you know who has you know polluted who has littered who has before who has um you know taken away all the forests who has killed all these animals making them endangered species this is about earth fighting back getting its revenge against manny a great theme and a great concept but when you see the film there are a lot of unintentionally comedic elements of the story which are not meant to be comedic but they are and then you know when it come out for serious it just becomes a big joke and then you just kind of wondering okay like you have this great concept, but you kind of waste it with adding this and this into it. And then you have a film like Old, which has another great concept about fearing getting older, morality, mortality, and wanting to be immortal, but understanding that immortality is a curse in itself. But when you see the film, you you know, you're sitting, you're set on this beach the whole time and it never really kind of goes anywhere, but the theme is there. And I feel like he puts a, a great concept together and he kind of just expects that to be good enough, but you have to build up. You have to build around that concept. You have to make sure that your dialogue, your structure, your editing, your pacing, even your characters in certain, in certain ways that they act and the traits, they all have to act in accordance with the screenplay. And I feel that's something he's lost over the past two decades in his career. But as a director, he still has he still has good skills behind the camera. And as a producer, this is a guy who is willing to put it all on the line to get his product made. You know, he he doesn't really go for big budgets. Um, he he's a guy who's never really had like a ninety million dollar budget or a Marvel or a Marvel you know budget or anything like that. He's willing to make do with less, and that's something that you can respect. I would say one of the things that I have an issue with in terms of his writing, especially, um, I think he's a really good writer when it comes to when it's focused on what is his strength. And when you go back to stuff like Six Sense, Signs, and even The Village and stuff like that, one thing that I feel like unbreakable, why, why did I keep freaking up? Uh, when you go back to those, the thing of that really lands is he knows how to really develop and let characters get breathing room, you know, so that it can be properly established. You can see the connections, you can see the disconnects with other people, and you can really understand where everyone's coming from. I think where he started to really, I'm not going to, you know what, screw it, I'm going to say it. Where he started to flounder was Lady in the Water for me. Uh, sorry. But um, it's like one of those things where I'm like, you need to know as a as a writer too, it's like you play to your strengths. Now I'm not saying that he can't write something which is bigger. I'm not saying that it's like, you know, scale is a problem for every writer, but it's like, I think one thing that happened, especially with those few movies, Lady in the Water, Happening, Last Airbender, After Earth, it's, it dialed up the scale a lot. In fact, by the time you're at After Earth, you're in this massive sci-fi blockbuster and I feel like somewhere along the way, he got this idea that I have to try being big and I have to write big. But you forgot the small. You forgot what made the things that work in those in the, in the first place. So I feel like sometimes it's a, man, it's a matter of like, you know, try to, that balance is, goes off, I think, as, as it got bigger. So because whenever he returned to smaller stuff like The Visit or Split, I feel like, that's old Shyamalan. He's back, you know. I, I can see that that OG version of him there. Um, 
So I, I don't feel like it's all gone. I don't think actually it's gone at all. I think it's just about playing to your strengths. And when he does that, it's great. Mm -hmm. I think his skills as a director are great. I think mm -hmm. writer, Coles, you pretty much nailed it on the head how I feel. I think he can write a scene, like storyboard it and figure out what it should look like. But I think he could use help with some of the dialogue. I guess that's that's the main thing. Like maybe have somebody look at the scenes and the things people are saying and maybe have somebody help you with that Uh because the dialogue just doesn't work in a lot of cases. It comes off comedic or it comes out flat. Eden, I was watching Signs uh, this week, and Signs is probably one of my favorite of his movies of, of all of them. Might be my very favorite, in fact. And But some of the, even as good as that movie is, as good as the acting is, some of the dialogue and the lines just come off weird and awkward and then it just became worse in movies like the happening when you had mark Wahlberg reading those lines so um you know so i think that's kind of where i'm seeing he could use some help i also think um having mark Wahlberg reading those lines are kind of the reason why it was bad <laughs> what no I mean, I like I like Mark. I like Marky Mark. I like him, but I feel that in some films he uses the same kind of tonal action with his voice. It's like, hey, your mom's in that. Like it, it, it sounds like he's like really just trying to get you to hear what he's saying. And it's like, yeah, I don't think you need it for every situation, but hey, I like him. He makes good movies. So I take an interest, I take an interest in science, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> He had this really perplexed look on his face the entire movie. <laughs> so are we ready to get into the films? Yes. yes. Excellent. Okay, so we're going to go through chronologically. And there are two movies he made before The Sixth Sense, Wide Awake, which is a film that has Indian characters. I think it actually take place in India. Um, I might be wrong about that, but it's definitely... Uh, has Indian characters as the central characters. Um, then we have, uh, sorry, that's not right. Praying with Anger is that movie. Wide Awake is the comedy. I messed that up, guys. Wide Awake, comedy, Praying with Anger. That one's on YouTube for anybody to see if you want to. Then we get to The Sixth Sense, which is playing on Apple TV right now. I guess now that we have The Servant on Apple TV, they have all of his movies except for the ones that are owned by other people. So what do you guys like, you know, what do you guys remember about seeing The Sixth Sense? And what do you think about that movie overall? I think we, I could speak for all of us that all of us remember about that film was the ending. That's all that everybody talked about. It was that ending. And this is a this is a time before social media, so it wasn't something that easily got spoiled. Like you had to go see this film in the theater to in order to understand what people were talking about. It was one of the best examples of word of mouth, um, word of mouth marketing that we've had in cinema in you know within the last twenty five years. Uh, you know, in, it's crazy because the big talking point wasn't even Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, who was a major A-list Hollywood star during that time, the big talking point was Haley Joel Osment, the kid. And, you know, this is his um, this was his breakout role. 
And, you know, after this, he, you know, he, he started in Steven Spielberg film and he was getting all these roles and it started from this film. And like I said before, it was one of the greatest child actor performances we've ever seen. He actually got an Oscar nomination for this film. You know, everyone remembers the I See Dead People scene, but what I want people to focus on that film is that how Haley Joel Osment plays this kid. He doesn't play it as a straight up just like, hey, guys, like, you know, my name is this and everything. And, you know, I'm just a kid. Like, no, this kid, you can tell this kid has baggage. You can tell this kid has a lot weighing on him. And you can tell that, you know, even though he has this power, that he can sense that there are spirits out there, he doesn't really seem to enjoy it. I mean, he understands that it's important. He understands that, you know, he can be able to help these spirits, you know, these dead children or these dead people, you know, get in contact with their relatives. Like, the one powerful scene where he is able to talk to Tony Collette, who's his mother, and tell her that his mother, that her mother is in a good place and that she's proud of her and that she still loves her. And it, it, it's an amazing scene. And this is where M. Night Shyamalan became a star. This is where all the comparisons to Hitchcock. I remember there was a magazine article that came out in Time that said that he was the new Spielberg. And... You know, this is, and it was just a pop culture phenomenon. And I do rank it among my top five favorite M. Night Shyamalan films. Now, I think that he has made a couple of better films than this. But, you know, if you can go to anybody on the street, and if you say M. Night Shyamalan's name, this is the film they're going to bring up. It's actually my favorite one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, 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 it's, it's, it's how we go. Um, I think sign, between this and Signs, it's kind of a toss-up every now and then. But I think Sixth Sense, I, I actually, the, I remember the first time I watched it, because it was during a summer break in school. And we had it at home, and I actually did not know anything. So this, uh, this was early social media days and um, we only used it to poke people on Facebook um, and um, one, one time I decided to so yeah I decided to watch it and uh, yeah then I eventually got um, got to the point of the ending and honestly the ending's great the twist is great you know all that and I do remember that scene more about but there's other scenes that really stuck out to me. And, and one of those scenes is, again, about this tension. I think it was the scene where they're, it's um, it's Bruce Willis and Hilly Joel Osment. They're standing in front of a, a staircase or something. And it's like, there's someone there. And you can't see anyone. And it's like, there's someone. Uh, I think it was like, some, there's, a, there's a body over there. And it's like, and even though you cannot see anything, you know this kid can see something. Mm-hmm. And um, and they, like that scene is what really re I remember thinking about it for a long time. Like, yeah, I know I know there's nothing there. I know this is movie magic, but it's like you know, like we're gonna probably see some kind of a flash or something like that. But even then, you felt that fear. You know, it's like there's something there. And the way Shyamalan directs the whole movie like that, you know, especially in those scenes with, with him, I thought um, he did such a great job of it. And um, then eventually as it goes on and then you play the movie back and then it's the whole thing changes up and you're like oh there, you can see something right there too it's like the one thing you can see but it's um he's just talking to himself in those moments so but it's yeah it's a, it's a legitimately creepy movie yeah i love it the bits mm -hmm. 10 10. yeah i remember this one it starts with such a bang with 
him and his wife uh, encountering that intruder in their bathroom. And then the other scene I really remember is with the tape recorder, when he's listening to the tape recorder and he's realizing he can hear the voices. This is Bruce Willis. And also just Bruce Willis's performance, how he was so, I thought of him as like, he's this big tough guy who's always in all those action movies. And he had such a soft-spoken, gentle way with Cole. Uh, and also Tony Collette, she's amazing. That that was like her breakout role, right? That mm-hmm. I, I just fell in love with that mom and uh, how... He really just brought out something in her. She's a great actress, but also I think he directed those characters really well. Um, she was also Oscar nominated for that role, hmm. in fact. Yeah. Remember, th- this is when the Oscars were cool and they nominated horror movies for stuff. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now, they got, now you got to pull teeth in order to get a horror film nominated. So <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But it really did just. He seemed to come out of nowhere with Sixth Sense, mm-hmm. right? And people were like, who's this guy? Where did he come from? And when can I see his next movie? <laughs> was was kind of what the general sense was at that time. So the next movie is Unbreakable, which is also on Apple TV, I should say. Another one with Bruce Willis. So what do you guys think about Unbreakable? Or what do you remember about it when it came out? Now... I wasn't familiar with Unbreakable because I wasn't really a big movie nerd. And I say that term with a lot of admiration. I wasn't really a big movie nerd around in the 2000s and whatnot. That kind of came during the start of the 2010s. But what I do remember about Unbreakable uh, is that it was a film that had an amazing, an amazing kind of... um, you know, reform of what a comic book film should feel like. It, it, it's a film where, you know, hey, what if Superman didn't know he was Superman and he lived among us? And how does he deal with knowing he has these powers? And, you know, does he use them for good? Or does he just keep them secret? Or or what? And I, I, I feel that this is his best film. Now, it's not my favorite, but I, if, if, I was to, if I was to be asked, is this his what is his best film? Unbreakable would be my first choice. I mean, it, 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 every minute of it, you know, nothing is wasted in this film. I just love the buildup, the start where we see the, the train crash and then we see Bruce Willis care to come out. He's the only guy who's alive. He's never had any injuries. He's never been sick before in his life. And he has a son who is starting to notice like dad, like, you know, you, you, you know, you survived this, this train crash and you know, you're, you never have had any ailments in your life. Like, I think you could be like a Superman. And, you know, you start to see throughout the film that Bruce Willis starts to realize that, hey, you know, I can lift heavy weights. And and it's not like, you know, what you see in a comic book film where a superhero can just pick up a building or something like that and it's nothing. No, there is a scene where Bruce Willis is, he's bench pressing. And then pretty much his kid just starts adding weights, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, and you can see that he's struggling, but he can still lift the weights up. And it is amazing because it kind of brings it kind of brings the 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 idea of a superhero into reality. It is it, making him like a normal person who has these abilities, but it's not like abilities that are like strike striking or awesome or something like that. It's just like he's 
he's built different. He's very unique. And he's just a humble guy who ends up becoming this savior. He ends up being talked about in the newspaper. He ends up saving a girl from, from the hands of a predator in one of the best climatic scenes of M. Night Shyamalan's career. I mean, the score of this film is one of my favorite scores. I know, I've known a lot of friends who use the Unbreakable score as like a study, as like a study aid, or who use it to go to sleep at night. It's, it's one of my favorite film scores of all time. And then you have this, this relationship between Samuel L. Jackson's Mr. Glass, and you have Bruce Willis' character, and it's like a comic book hero versus villains kind of matchup. And you know, Mr. Glass's character is also built up as this baby who's born with, with all broken bones and he has to walk through with his cane and everything in his wheelchair and he's not able to really do things that other people do, but his mind is out of this world. He's one of the smartest people in the world and he's, be, he's able to be, be able to cre create this life for himself outside of this disability. So there is another element of this inspiration where, you know, no matter if you are hampered by a physical disability, what they can't take away is what's inside your head, what's in your mind. Now, Mr. Glass ends up using that knowledge to his to do evil means where he causes these crane these these accidents all over, looking for somebody like David, which is Bruce Willis' character, looking for a Superman, looking for a nemesis that he can, you know, fight against. And it's just it's just a an all-time film, and I feel it doesn't really get enough credit even still. Like, I went on to Letterboxd, and not a lot of people have even seen it. So, if anybody's listening to this, just go and watch Unbreakable. It is, you know, a classic, a classic film. Great, great points, Kales, about Unbreakable. I love this movie, too. And uh, I think, besides the things you said, I want to point out there's all lovely little details in this, like Mr. Glass, the way that he's dressed, he's obviously dressed like a villain the whole time with his coats and his, his uh, what do you call it, a dressing gown? He's in, in the wheelchair at the end. But I love how they, you know, very obviously act to that movie, you can be like, oh yeah, he's totally dressed like a comic book character the whole time. And a lot of the you know, the same thing with Bruce Willis, like he's wearing this raincoat all the time. So it really builds that aspect up artistically throughout the movie. But yeah, I love this one too. What do you want to say about Asharia? After that? No, I got nothing more to add <laughs> on that. No, no, no. Um, yeah, sitting that on note. Um, all the everything that Kellis just said, I, I, I'm not, I got nothing more to add. Um, no, it's a great movie. <laughs> Really, really great. Great deconstruction of the comic book genre in a lot of ways, actually, especially um, with movies that are made today in the comic book genre. It's like, it's 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 one of those very unique films. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, that, no, like I said, no, mm -hmm. no other points to add on that one. This was way before that any you know a lot of people had seen comic book movies this is you know at the time i hadn't really seen any maybe you know a few batman movies here or there so i think it did was that movie did reach a lot of people in you know people who hadn't seen comic movies didn't care about that aspect as much but it was still a great story and yet if you were really into comic book movies that was a really cool aspect that you could enjoy that maybe other people weren't as interested in after unbreakable we move into Signs, which is on HBO Max. I'm just going to tell you where all the movies are in case anybody wants to know. You can go watch that one on HBO Max right now. I guess that was already owned by them long ago. 
Now, this is my favorite M. Night Shyamalan film. It's a film that deals with the idea of fate. And, you know, you see throughout the film where Mel Gibson's character, he's this preacher, you know, he's dealing with the, he's dealing with the loss of his wife in a tragic car accident. He's having the race, these two young kids, and also his third kid, who is the oldest, um, Joaquin Phoenix. He's a guy that was supposed to be a professional MLB player. He was that good um, in his hometown, but he kind of just lost track of that, and he's ended up stuck in a small town. But then these crop circles start popping up, and then, you know, these, these sightings of aliens you know, become very widespread around the world. And then it becomes about a plot about these aliens trying to take over the world. But at the center of this film is about family. And it's also about the idea of how things are put in place. Things happen for a reason. There is a reason, you know, now this may be controversial, but there is a reason why this this glass of water is right here, is uh, is around this on top of this TV. There is a reason why this baseball bat is right here in the living room. There's this reason, you know, why things happen. And it's not, and it's something that we as humans may not even understand. There are, you know, forces and spirits out there that are working way beyond our comprehension. And I think M. Night Shyamalan, he loves, he loves dabbling in this fantasy element when it comes to his films. You know, where there is a mix of reality, but there's also this fantasy element about things that we want to try to understand. But he puts it into a way to where he puts these themes in that anybody can relate to. And I noticed on my recent rewatch of this film last year that, you know, the elements of the elements of just, you know, family and spiritual warfare and the aspect of moving on from tragedy and also coming together in times of distress, I mean, it, it falls in very well, especially during, you know, living in, you know, the times of fighting a pandemic. It, it, it hit me in a lot of different ways than it when it first came out. Because I remember when it first came out, I watched the VHS tape and my mom had watched it first. And I remember the night before she had all the lights on in the whole house. Cause that's how she watched horror films. She's easily scared. And the part, the famous part where Joaquin is watching the TV, the TV um, segment about these kids in Mexico who watched the alien and walk past and it walks past them and everything. And you see the image of just this brown looking tall, just deranged looking alien. It, it's phenomenal. It, it's a very scary film too. Um, not saying that it's something that's jump scares, but it's very creepy, especially the use of no sound in certain scenes and just not even seeing the aliens until the end, you know, face to face was a good choice by M. Night Shyamalan. And I think this is the film that puts him closest to Alfred Hitchcock than anything he's ever done, even The Sixth Sense. I did mention earlier that between this and the six, it was kind of a coin toss on whether or not this was my favorite. I I actually, I really love this one. I haven't seen it in a long time, I should mention. Um, so um, some of my memory was a little foggy there for a second, but um, there are certain scenes that I, I remember very, very vividly. And I, I, I mean, again, this, when we were talking earlier about relationships, you know, about how those build into this movie, I just one one thing I really took away from the movie was that, um, and that you know there were these certain moments that um, 
uh, a couple of moments that kind of reminded me of conversations that I've had sometimes maybe with my dad and you know and, and other family members and it just um it kind of hits that extra little bit special in those moments um but I mean the themes that it's addressing I remember at the time uh it was a polarizing movie there were a lot of people I knew who didn't like the film and um I I I think that happened for a, for a while actually there was a slight bit of revisionism that happened over time and eventually it became a lot more loved and a lot more appreciated but um, at the time it was like, oh, it's great, but also I think it was also to do with the fact that the final sort of twist wasn't exactly what people wanted or something like that, and, and, and that kind of ruined it for some people, but really it didn't. I think it, um, I think it overall strengthened um, everything. Um, we're doing spoilers, aren't we? Just joking. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, Christ. Okay. Yeah, I was like, uh, you know, priest, holy water, water kills alien. I was like, ha So, um, but um, very obvious symbolism over there, probably. But um, no, I think it, <laughs> but I think it worked out uh, uh, pretty well. Uh, I think by by the end of it, I do need to revisit it at some point because. I do love it. And it does have what is often considered the scariest Shyamalan moment in a movie ever. It's the scene of the birthday party, the one where the alien walks by. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is scary. Because <laughs> you, you think about it, you know, from like a from a from a perspective of like, you know, you watching TV, you suddenly saw that. Like, you know, in real life, like, you know, just singing happy birthday and it's something you turn on. And this is like alien, the seven foot tall thing that walks by. You're like, <laughs> so, like, you know, like, you know, it, it would scare you. Like, it really would. And um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's a really, really great movie and one of his best for sure. Um, very, um, some, somewhat, somewhat Spielbergian in a way, but I think, for, like, yeah, it's, it's really great stuff. Yeah, I love this movie too. I think it it um it reminds me of the aspect I was telling you about which is that care people have this past and the past determines who they are and that goes into the signs. Do you believe in signs? Do you believe in miracles? And everybody has a purpose that happened in Unbreakable too, but it's like everything has a purpose. Now, that this isn't the strongest way that they approach that. I think later on, Lady in the Water is the one that tries to hit that the hardest, um, and which is one of the reasons I probably have a better relationship with that movie than most people because of the way the time it hit me. Um, but it really hit this hit this chord of of faith, which is that everything happens for a reason. And so I think it, you know, M. Night, some very much his earlier films, his earlier half of the films definitely did really hit well with a lot of faith-based communities and, and Christian audiences because he does deal with those issues so much, but then uh, as well as other people may not like it for that, for that same reason. But yet the themes are universal of family and um, sons and fathers, brothers and older brothers, and how we deal with loss, how we feel, deal with tragedy. The one thing, there was one thing I didn't like about this movie when it came out, which is kind of funny, and that is that aliens themselves, because I think I was so used to the alien movie where 
it's usually like, hey, it turns out the aliens are not there to harm us. <laughs> you know, they're just <laughs> there to check out. And that's the whole, they even said in the movie, the aliens are either here to explore or just find out or they're here to destroy us. And I hadn't really seen many movies at that time where that was the case. Like the aliens are out to get us. And I'm like, really? That that was what it was all along? The aliens were there to just kill everybody? It just that seemed weird. And also the alien suit itself was pretty was pretty crappy. Now, I mean, I guess that was that was in the budget and that was the suit they had at the time. And it does come off terrifying, but then when you see it closer towards the end, you're like, wow, that was a really horrible costume they created for that <laughs> alien. I liked the whole movie and the whole like, hey, we're all bunkering down and it's the end of the world possibly. But I didn't like the fact that the aliens were there to to kill all the humans. I was like, that just doesn't ring true to me. So that that discord kind of made me upset at the end of the movie. But other than that, I liked the family and Mel Gibson's character and all of the kids and, and Joaquin Phoenix, of course, you know, swing away. <laughs> Meryl like that's just you know he was the one that was sitting at home feeling totally purposeless and I'm just the loser is living with my brother so that was nice that he got to be sort of a hero at the end and the music <laughs> drives it all up so much of course now we're moving on to the village which is on Apple TV this is where it gets interesting so. this is this is where the magic starts to um fall apart a little bit. Uh, the Village is not a bad film. It's pretty good. I had a incredible time with it. Uh, I, I don't really remember much. It's one of those films where I've seen it and I haven't gone back to it and it's been a while. But I do remember the twist didn't sit right with me. And I remember just, you know, the whole film feels like a chore. You're kind of just sitting there waiting and hoping that the twist can re resurrect it and redeem it in some manner. And it, and it didn't for me. And... The, the concept, once again, it feels kind of interesting where these people are living in a town and they're not allowed to really leave outside of it. There's a fear that if you do leave outside of it, that a monster is going to come and eat you. So you're kind of just stuck in this one place. And, you know, it feels like a prison. I mean, it's a beautiful prison. I mean, there's countryside. There's there's like green grass. There's these old style homes. It feels feels comforting, but at the same time, there is a sense of isolation and just confinement and, you know, and not really a freedom to really do anything. And, but outside of that, it, it's, it's one of those films that doesn't really add anything for me. And it's something I don't, I will not even probably even go back to anymore to even like try to figure out the riddle. <laughs> I actually kind of, I kind of like this one. Um, I have my issues with it. I do, um, and um, I, I do. I do think that there are some parts of it that are not as um, you know as well written as other segments and character arcs and stuff like that. But um, and I do, I do have my conflicts with the final reveal of things. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I think I once saw a review of this movie. Which I kind of agreed with. Like, and there was a point that this, this uh, I think it was Chris Stuckman's review on YouTube. He he said a line, and I said, "Yeah, you know that is that is the fact right there." He said, "Any movie that is shot by Roger Deakins is hard to hate," and I said, "Yeah, that's true." 
because at least you're getting a beautiful movie out of it. And and it was the same thing with the village. It's a it's I mean yeah it's a gorgeous looking movie and it's pretty well acted I would say, but um, yeah I think some of it's thematic elements, some of the things that Shyamalan's trying to do it there is a quality a quality to it that goes up and down. And it's definitely the first sign of like instability when it comes to one of his movies. It's like you can say Signs was the first one or Unbreakable. Like, no, I think like those were still more successful. This one was like, okay, now now it's wobbling. Now now we're really, you know, feeling the arts shake over here. On the plus side, when it was about to come out, that poster, it's like the red hood was all over my town. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think I passed a street corner for months without seeing that poster so mm -hmm. that worked it got people in the theater <laughs> I knew when to see it so um yeah I right. like the idea of the enclosed community I think that's a very compelling idea I think it also had a lot of strong visuals all of the colors like they were all wearing the yellow hoods versus the red hoods and there was the red that was the bad color so it very much it's very much was shot almost with that comic book feel where they did a lot visually. But this is another one where some of the dialogue is just weird. Now I know that part of that is because it's supposed to be an enclosed community and so they had odd ways of speaking. But it was very some of the dialogue was just very stilted and of course the reveal was not that great in this one. One thing I think is really weird about this, and probably only children's librarians know this, is there is a novel, a children's novel, that is very similar to this um, to this movie. It's called Running Out of Time. It's a book, a little chapter book that came out in either the 1970s or 1980s. But it was basically this plot. There was an enclosed community. A child got sick and the girl had to leave the community to go and get medicine. And so when this came out, a lot of the book bookish community were like, did M. Night Shyamalan pilfer this plot and not give the author credit? Um, it never became a thing, though, outside of, you know, we all the librarians complained and maybe grumbled amongst themselves. And if you Google it, there's like reddits about it but um it never became a thing but that that was a little at weird the time that i thought okay in this case the the plot isn't as original as some of the other plots he's done because somebody came up with this idea before but yeah i don't hate it either i think it i liked the concept of having a blind character as being the main character I remember liking that performance I liked the part where she's going from point a to point b and she's having to maneuver by herself and we see how she problem solves that and how she is able to get away from the the person chasing her and there's some really awful dialogue. There's some also really good dialogue. Who is it's either William Hurt or John Hurt that is that is her father. And he had some really great lines of dialogue when he's trying to explain to the council how um why he decided to let her go and all of that, all the dynamics where they're like, You're ruining our community. And he's just like, I can't take it anymore. I won't allow these people to suffer. Um, 
and he had a very you know he has a very strong line of dialogue there so some of the acting is good it has a lot of good pieces of furniture they just didn't get moved around in the, the best way possible <laughs> so now we're moving into lady in the water which is on apple tv well it's one of those films that just doesn't want it doesn't want to be harmful it just wants to come in and and give you hope and it wants to make your heart happy and it wants to put you in a good mood and i can't and i can't be mad at that but it, it's just the gut it's just the overt use of just uh um of you know just positive vibes and and, and and it doesn't help that the story never really comes to full fruition for me. Like there, there's the idea that this lady, there's a there's a girl in this water, and she's. It, I'm not really fully familiar with the story details intricately because this is a film that I watched one time and I've never really gone back to it again. But the film feels to me that it's way too long. It the pacing is just trepid it it really just slogs along but it wants to make you feel happy the whole time and you can see that there is good intentions that M. Night Shyamalan put into this film but I think the book does a much better job of telling the story than what this film does it it, it feels like M. Night Shyamalan lifted just the some of the major points but he didn't really get deep into the inner details of the story to bring it to the screen and it's a very forgettable film and and I, I really find it hard to see where is the redemption for this film at all. It, it, I mean, I hate to use the word tedious, but it is a tedious film. And that's something I thought I would never say from an M. Night Shyamalan film. But there are, is a much more worse example that comes on later in his career that we'll talk about. But this is the film that I would definitely put into one of the, um, into the basement to be locked away and never seen again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't even know there was a book. Yeah, it, it, it's. I think it's based on a short story. Uh, I, I'm not sure okay. it's a full-on novel, but I think it's a short story, and that's where it's that's where its um, source comes from. I think conceptually, it's very interesting, and it's something that goes back to what I was saying at the start, also about Shyamalan as a filmmaker. He has a very unique vision, so I like his concepts over here. I like what he's bringing to the table. The thing is, remember when you said, hey, is he like, does he have an ego? And like, I'd be a little self-indulgent. Yeah, this is the movie. Yeah, this is the movie. Um, <laughs> this is it. Um, because, um, by the way, every time Kayla said the story of this movie, I was like, which one? Because <laughs> story is the name of the character. Um, but um in a sense, when when story by South Howard is explaining, like you know, she's, she's looking for the writer, you know, this person is going to bring everything together. The writer is Shaman. He cast himself as that great writer that will bring everything together, and his sacrifice will, you know, restore faith in humanity or whatever. I was like, really? Um, probably not the uh, best way to do that, but. Um, it also, it, it just eventually is like, it's a movie which has concepts which are really great and ideas that are really great. And it, this one really, really doesn't do anything as as interesting with them as it could. Um, I mean, if people had a problem with that in the village, then I feel like here it's even bigger. 
like the, the that problem, that gaping hole, so to speak, you know. Um, but I, I still, I have to give it props for the fact that it is, it's not a concept I've seen before. It's not something that I've tried, seen, at least handled in the way that it is or tried to. So I, I respect that. The part I really like about this movie, I don't think it's a great movie. I didn't hate it. I was one of the few people that like was like, this is really saying something. I like the fact that there were all these people living in one apartment complex who were all misfits. And they were all just oddballs and each of them, but each of them had a gift. And so when this character appears, the lady in the water, they all come together to rescue her. And in that moment, they're all acting in their giftings, you could say. And they're they're doing the things that God intended them to do, you could say. Like this guy, uh, he was a doctor and he was hurt before he had pain and suffering about it and so he was then afraid to do that again but because a greater cause comes along that's greater than his pain he chooses to lay aside the fear and to go ahead and use his skills again I really liked that aspect of working the, you know there are things that were each given gifts that we have and we can use those for the good of others we can use those for good or for evil and i thought that was a very intriguing concept i think it could have again maybe the writing with better writing or a different like why is this lady appearing in a swimming pool and hanging out in his bathtub you know some of that was just weird and uh, it it also had that okay so, sort is it is it a comedy or not you know like with the guy that only worked out one, one of his arms with his bicep that I remember that character was hilarious <laughs> but um and, and there was the evil that was there with the wolves and all of that so it had again some interesting pieces but it was people obviously did not resonate with this movie they're just like what are you doing and why are you casting yourself as a great writer uh, one of the things i wanted to you brought out was the act of sacrifice and how you're going to make the sacrifice i'm interested in how that theme will play out and knock in the cabin because that is another that's a thing that's in the trailer like will you make the sacrifice so maybe he'll have a better way to go with that theme in the future yeah, well for one thing it's not him <laughs> in knock at the cabin uh which is a good idea uh, right. i think and also i think there's one thing in the bin lady in the water which um I, I just remembered one of the tenants is this critic who mm -hmm. is portrayed as this you know like a critic this very <laughs> you know says everything like it's a review and the critic is the evil, like, you know, the person is like, got to get him out of the way. And then he goes out in a pretty bad way, too. And I'm like, what is, what are we doing here? Like, are, are you, is this supposed to be our commentary against critics? Like, are you, are you, are you trying to, I don't know what you're trying to say with that. I think it got a little too on the nose, especially with when the critic is talking about everything, like it's a review. Um no one talks like that now <laughs> in, in real life. Uh, 
which sometimes happens. You sometimes see that like comment that some of our movies. It's like people in real life don't talk like this. It's like, well, no. I mean, some most of the time you do. Just not not like that. That that's one. I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, How about we move on to the happening, or is it happening? Is it not even the happening? The the, the happening. The one good thing I can say about the happening is that it's not as bad as everybody thinks it is. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of my friends over the years say it's like one of the worst movies they've ever seen. I've had a friend tell me that she went to the theaters to see it, and once it was over, she immediately went to the front and asked for a refund. And she's never done that for any film except for this one. Now, when I watched it, yes, I could see that there are defects with it uh there's one mark Wahlberg's acting there is two uh the aspect of the dialogue which is what Lindsay talked about which is one of m night Shyamalan's traits that has gotten very worse over the years is that his manner of using certain dialogue that is unintentionally comedic <laughs> when it tries to be serious and you know the concept of having nature killing humans is great but not enough is really done with it. And the twist at the end, you know, it really brings up more more questions than answers. And it's a waste of a film. But there are some good moments. There are there are moments such as John uh, Leguizamo's character when he comes into the film. And I think, you know, there's a moment where he's in the car with these other people, these strangers, and he realizes that because in the film, you know, if you breathe in the air that the trees are emitting, then you will eventually want to kill yourself. It makes you want it, that nature is pretty much putting off air into the environment that's making people want to kill it, kill themselves. And so he sees there's a tear in the top of this Jeep and he looks up and then he speaks to the girl and he's trying to distract her from what will be her eventual fate, which is dying. And he tells her, you know. How many? How if you saved a penny for you know this amount of time? How how much money will you have? And you know it's just those little those little touches that are very clever, and, and I wish there was more of them in this film. But it's another it's another miss for me in the M Night Shyamalan collection. Even with the hot dog man. <laughs> Even with hot dog man, uh, <laughs> unintentionally funny though. I will give you that. <laughs> I don't think I have a lot to say, but I did want to share just a quick story, which is when I went to see this movie, the person in front of me in line was like, what is the happening or happening? And the person said, oh, it's a horror movie. And I remember going, what? No, it's not. Like, why are you telling people that? And it goes back to that, what are your expectations? This is obviously not a horror movie. It's more of a a science fiction sort of apocalyptic in another world like something's coming we don't know what it is and we never really get to see what it is but it's very much about fear and people societies kind of unfurling but because of this expectation that it's a horror movie and there's going to be a giant twist you know people were just like what is happening you know what is happening when we go into this movie they didn't understand so i i just remember that memory and in fact when i reviewed this movie on my website which was very different back then i told i told this story as like this is how i knew nobody's gonna like this movie because the expectations was that it was going to be some kind of suspenseful um hitchcockian sort of thriller and when it wasn't that everyone had already decided to hate it plus they already hated uh, a lot of people already hated the village and a lot of people already hated lady in the water so they were ready to hate watch this one too last airbender i never saw this one guy so i have nothing to say about it 
Um, count yourself lucky that you haven't seen it, and I would recommend that you don't see it at all. This is the worst, <laughs> the worst film of M. Night Shyamalan's career. For one, <laughs> the movie doesn't have the doesn't even hold anything of a semblance to the Nickelodeon show. And I wasn't even a big watcher of, um, you know, Avatar. But I, I had some friends in high school who were big into anime. And they loved Avatar. They reverenced it. They prayed to it, in a sense. So when this film came out, it was a lot of hype for it. A lot of people were very hyped for it. You know, they people saw the trailers, people saw the effects, and they were like, wow, this is gonna be this is gonna be a great reimagining for the big screen for Avatar. And then the film came out and it turned out that it was nowhere near close. This film doesn't have a soul. <laughs> that's the that's the one takeaway. It doesn't have a soul. It doesn't even feel like an M. Night Shyamalan film. It 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 doesn't. Like there's there are qualities of an M. Night Shyamalan film that that lets you know that he's behind the camera, that he's making the decisions, that he's writing the story and whatnot. But this film doesn't have that. It feels just like a ripoff. It feels like someone trying to capitalize on an already proven brand and just trying to make some money off of it. And it didn't. It was a it was a major box office flop. Um, I remember this is when I first learned about Rotten Tomatoes when this film came out because it had one of the worst Rotten Tomatoes scores ever. Uh, I think it was like in the single digits, and I think it's still around there now. And I saw it, and even with me not even being a big fan of watching the Avatar show on Nickelodeon, I could just tell that this film was a mistake. Big mistake. The acting is bad all around. There's no good. There's no semblance of these actors even trying to to even care about the story. The effects are hideous. The story is a snail. It's snail pacing. It, 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 you're you're really are telling yourself you're hoping that this ends. Like I was looking at the clock the whole time watching this on Netflix a couple of years ago. I was looking at the clock hoping that the film was over. I kept looking down. There's 40 minutes left. I keep looking down. 26 minutes left, and it feels like torture. This is this is what this film feels like, and it it it, it is it is at that point where I started to realize that M Night Shyamalan had lost his curveball. You know. Um, when the, when the last Airbender came out, there was this other movie that had come out just before it. And I remember my friends talking about that and saying, I hope it's better than this. And, um, <laughs> that movie was, and that movie was called Dragon Ball Evolution. And I remember thinking, oh, they were so disappointed. That was a terrible adaptation of Dragon Ball Z. So... Hopefully this one's better. Uh, look, um, so yeah, I I've I think I've maintained so far in this talk that we've been having that I I've defended I defend Shyamalan as a director as a, as a filmmaker, and the thing is I think this is the indefensible one by a long shot. Um, but I also don't know if that's entirely his fault. I feel like this is a case where it's like. Paramount, the studio, which, by the way, I want to print a retraction by saying that I said in the beginning all his movies were universal. They're not. Some, the, a lot of them were Disney first, then it was uh, Paramount. So, sorry, I want to clarify. What I was saying was like, I think they called him in. They said, hey, could you try your hand at this? Do you want to give it a go? And the thing is, I don't think this was the right man for the job. Like, you don't get at Night Shyamalan to do a last Airbender movie. 
um, or something with a big, like a big spectacle event like that. Um, and they, and you can tell you're watching the movie, and that's why, as I said, it doesn't feel like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, like it because it's not him. There's no real trademark of his that you can see over here. There's a couple of moments here and there you can be like, that feels like it was a scene directed by him, maybe. But otherwise, it feels like a corporate product that was cobbled together. Um, and the problem is you're also trying to fit in very rich lore across seasons of TV into one hour and 40 minute movie or something like that, which is a horrible idea. It has not worked before. It's not worked since. They tried it with another beloved uh, property in 2017. In fact, it was this movie called The Dark Tower. Some things, yeah, some things you don't try. You know, sometimes sometimes you just need to know there's a certain way to do it. So I'm, I'm more excited now. My final word on this is they're making a live action adaptation, which is a show. Hopefully that works out. That's a lot better. Um, I think they seem to be on the right track so far, you know, and um, that's the final word I have on that. Yeah. Now we're going to move into After Earth, which is on Prime Video, the one, the only that is free on Prime Video right now. Talk about a fumble. Um, uh, I would say that this is another film that doesn't feel like an M. Night Shyamalan film. It feels like a first-time director trying to make a sci-fi film. Uh, and, you know... You know, the one good thing I will say about this film is that it does delve into the themes of fear. You know, Will Smith's character has a he has a monologue where he talks about how he he the reason why he's able to do what he does is that he doesn't have fear because they live in this world where there are monsters that are programmed. They are created to kill humans, but they only will come after you and they'll be able to detect you if you fear them. But if you don't, then they don't sense you in a sense. So. He's like renowned in this galaxy, you know, and on his planet as, you know, a guy who just doesn't fear anything. But it's that aspect, you know, that lends into a couple of wooden performances. Like, uh, I can see that Will was trying to, you know, just be like a guy that has no emotion because if you don't have fear, then you don't really feel emotionally attached to anything because, you know, having fear in a sense, it makes you feel scared. And when you feel scared, then you want to be, you know, you want to be with somebody who makes you feel safe. But since Wilson's character doesn't have that fear, then, you know, he doesn't need that. But it it really doesn't help when his performance is just this guy who who never smiles in the film, who looks stone-faced, who is essentially... The, the bulk of the film, you're following Jaden Smith's character while they crash land onto a planet and Will Smith is guiding him, but Will Smith is just stuck inside this plane the whole film. He's just stuck inside the plane giving directions to Jaden Smith, and it's a bad use of Will Smith. This is not what Will Smith should be doing in your film. He should be the guy maybe who should be leading the film because his son, Jaden, Jaden to me has never been a strong, has never been a good actor. He's never been strong. The only film I will give credit for Jaden being in was The Karate Kid. And that's in the pursuit of happiness. Because <laughs> he was a kid. And he was just asked to be a kid in those films. And you know, you know, the 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 flaws are not present. But when you give a guy like Jaden Smith the key, the the keys to a film and ask him to lead it, then 
your film is going to fall apart. He, he He's just not that strong of an actor. And also the, the visuals don't cut it. Uh, the story is very generic. At the end of the day, you know, there are strong themes, but the story itself is nothing is nothing we haven't seen before um, as far as a hero's journey. And it's once again, a, it's once again a film that's devoid of personality. And, you know, watching it, it, it wasn't like I felt that it was terrible, you know, and it wasn't like it was revolting. It's just that it was just there. It was just mediocre. And and it's just another um, missed mark for M. Night Shyamalan. We do not acknowledge that other Karate Kid movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, I, I thought it was okay. It was okay. <laughs> so, interesting thing. I think this is the first one which he did not solely write himself. So, I, the, yeah, the story is by Will Smith. Uh, apparently, he wrote this. He had this idea a while back, and wanted to work with Shyamalan. It was more so to like help Jaden get a platform, probably, as an actor. Um, and he also, the script is co-written between M. Night Shyamalan and, and Gary Whitta. Gary Whitta is a little more famous now because he co-wrote another movie a couple of years later. Probably you guys have heard of it called Rogue One. Um, and um, eventually, so, you know, that worked out a lot better, by the way. Um, but... Um, this is a case where, like again, it's it's a lot like it's 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 where you have you have a good base, you have something interesting, and they and and that theme of like you know fighting fear and you know sort of getting over it. It's like and sort of finding the correlation between what exactly is fear and you know like what are you fighting for. It's it's in, it's great. It's it's a really great thing. It just comes down to how you do it. And um, I think what, I think again, I think the biggest mistake, which uh, we've already mentioned a little bit, Kayla's did, is the idea of uh, having the characters be emotionless wooden planks, which um, takes away from so much of that because it, it, it's hard to connect with that aspect. Like, I mean, you, you'll meet people in your life who are like, I have no fear of anything, and you know, but there's always something, but you know, it's not like you meet them and they're like emotionless husks of people. Like, you know, there there is a personality to it. If there's nothing to connect to, then you're not going to be connecting to anything. So I don't feel like that's a, it's, a, it's like it came to a point where you'd be in a scene where um, I um, uh, Kitai Rage, I believe is his name, Jaden Smith's character. Um, Cypher Rage and Kitai Rage. Okay. Um, so he's facing the first monster and it's like this fear he has but it's like I can't tell your acting is any different from what it was for the last 30 minutes of movie like you're, you're like I can't tell if this is supposed to be your fear moment because again there's just there's nothing there to hold on to um, and we don't also get to see much um, something that I actually uh, this is the one thing I had a bigger issue with is Cypher a rage? Will Smith is built up to be the greatest hero of all time. <laughs> you don't actually see him do any hero stuff. You don't. <laughs> and I, I found that to, like that was like confusing to me. I said, should you be uh, hyping up this guy? Like, 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 have you guys seen the new Puss in Boots movie? Like when it starts off, there's that scene with the, with the giant. Mm -hmm. Spoilers for the Puss in Boots scene with the giant. You know, it's like. You know, it doesn't super go well for him, but like at the end of the day, it's like you get that idea that this guy, he, he's 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 out. You know, he's he's gonna 
yeah, he's he's got no fear in him. He's going to take on something that's 50,000 times his size. You know, it's something like that. Like, you never get that feeling from someone like Cypher Rage. And then the entire movie to keep him paralyzed in one location throughout. And then it just capturing Jaden Smith going through. I'm like, man, he's not established enough yet. You're supposed to help him become a better actor over here. You're the charismatic actor over here. You're just kind of, you know, it's like, it's a lot of things that just bad decisions that kind of messed it up. Um, but still, I mean, I I could say it's maybe a little bit of a better movie than Last Airbender, only on the basis of <laughs> like I like the concepts. So yeah, like where the, the margin is like small, folks. And, and the thing that really, you know, that really, you know, brings it home how this film really fails is that towards the end, you know, usually when you're following a character and they're and they're trying and they're on the journey to becoming a hero, to making their mark, to standing out, because the whole film, Jaden's character is trying to figure out a way how he can stand out from the shadow of his father. His father is a legend, so he's trying to make his own mark. But at the end, when he does, you know, when he does topple over his obstacles, when he does achieve this goal, it doesn't feel heroic. You know, it just feels like something that's happening. You know, you don't feel that joy that you get when you see a character really achieving something that you, they thought was insurmountable or them becoming a hero. You don't get that feeling of just grandiose. It just feels like just something that's happening. And, it, it, you know, it's not really helped because Jaden, he never really comes off as his hero. You know, there even when the moments when he he's supposed to show fear, his line delivery just doesn't cut it. Like, there's a time where he's saying, go away, go away. But the way he says, go away, it doesn't show a guy a fear. It just shows a guy just reading a line off the paper. That, that's what it comes off as. And, you know, you know, I think mostly this film cannot really be put the blame on M. Night Shyamalan because it would be unfair to him. I think it's because he made the wrong decision of just placing a guy like Jaden Smith as his lead actor. You know, if you have a better kid actor in that role, then... I think this film is actually okay. You know, it, it, it's not going to turn to a great film, but I think it's something that's serviceable and you can actually sit through. Moving into The Visit. I'm going to go ahead and kick this one off if you guys don't mind. Um, I remember renting this one. I believe I got this back when I had the Netflix DVD plan still. And I was waiting for this one to come out because at this point, I think I... Thought, I don't know may maybe how long it was between After Earth and this movie, but I thought M. Night was just done directing and he wasn't going to do anything anymore. Um, so then when I got this movie, I remember watching it. And again, it didn't feel like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. But in this case, that was a good thing. This seemed to me much more like a campy horror movie that was really cheesy again it balanced in the humor this one totally worked for me i liked this visit this movie about these kids visiting their grandmother and again there's a twist but it's just really fun i think it allowed him to sort of it's almost like a reset on uh, now six cents signs unbreakable those all felt very like literary and high concept in a way this is very very different from him it's much more grounded but it did maybe allow him just to 
tell a simple story. It's very muted, no frills. It's just these few characters on the screen, one set location. And I feel like that gave him a small, I think he does well with a small toolbox, a small frame. And within that, he can then play and do things. So this one I thought was a blast. I thought it was gross. I thought it was really scary. And I I loved this movie at the time and thought, yes, this is different. This is something that I liked. It worked for me. What did you guys think about it or have you seen it? You know, watching it, I kind of admired it in a sense. It has a little bit of a Hansel and Gretel kind of feel to it. You know, especially that we're following these these two kids. You know, they're going to what they presume to be their grandparents. And it turns out that that is far from the case. And, you know, the thing that the thing that makes it so creepy is that the grandmother, the, just the grandmother just doing these weird, like there's a scene where the kids are playing hide and seek under the house and then the grandmother all of a sudden comes and starts running like, running like she's almost like a, a spider or something just on the ground and it's intense and it's like what the hell is going on and you know, this is the film where I was actually excited to see what the twist was going to be. And this is the power of M. Night Shyamalan. This is where he's best at. When he can build up enough events in the story and give you these little moments that make you want to figure out what is going on. That state of unknowing and just wanting to see where this ends up. Perfect. It's, it's, it's a great feeling. I thought this film was very good. It, it's very good. And it's a very underrated M. Night Shyamalan film. I love the performances. Um, I love the twists. You know, the twist might not be all time immaculate, but it is a really good twist. And you know, I kind of, I kind of would like if he. I, I feel like you know he's starting to get back into these these like small scale films, which I think what Knocking the Cabin will be. You know, films like this, The Visit. You know, or even a film like um, I would even say Signs. You know, these kind of films. This is his toolhouse right here. You know, and. Yeah, I have nothing but good things to say about this film. It was a welcome surprise for me last year. And the 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 actors were great. The the girl character, I forget her name now, but she was the female lead in Elvis. She was his. Uh, she played Priscilla Presley. So. Oh. Okay. Oh wow! I did not know that. Yeah, That's I just good. I found out myself just recently. I think we're about ready to move into Split. Oh, Split. Now, this was the comeback right here. This was the comeback because, you know, Visit, yes, it was nice, but this felt like this is M. Night Shyamalan back into his element again. Probably his best film since um, Signs, I would say. And, you know, another film that features a great twist. Like, this is a film that many people, I remember when it first came out, I did not know the connection with Unbreakable. I did not. So seeing that final image of uh, David Dunn in that bar, I was ecstatic. I, 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 It was a reaction I'll never forget. I just looked at my girlfriend. I was, I gave her the shock face. She didn't understand it because she had never seen Unbreakable. But I told her, yo, like, yes, <laughs> this, it, it was a sequel. And, and I love how it really operates as a story on its own. Like, even if you don't see Unbreakable, you can still watch this film on its own and get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, I think it wouldn't be even fair to talk about this film without mentioning James McAvoy. Uh, 
career-defined performance, I would say. Probably his best performance in his career. Um, it's a shame that he didn't get nominated for an Oscar. I mean, being able to play out these different personalities. And I understand that there was a lot of controversy about how, you know, dissociative identity disorder and how it felt kind of exploitive and whatnot. And yes, I do agree with that because the real, the real, you, when you really see a person with dissociative identity disorder, it's not as like very outlandish like this, where there's different personalities and people wear clothes and they're talking a different language. It's not like that. But I, for the film, it works. It works because the James McAvoy is willing to become open to doing all of these different parts and willing to, you know, you know, he, he comes off as just this weird troubled guy, you know, who has like a lot of mental issues, but it turns out, no, this guy is really, a, he's, he's a monster. He, the horde, he, he is a monster that will, has no problems with eating people or killing them. And seeing the, um, the cat and mouse game between him and Anna Taylor Joy's character throughout the film was very nice. And I also did love that, um, you know, I, I hate to even bring this man's name up because of his name is kind of tarnished uh, given recent events, but Kanye West, uh, there is a, there was a running, there was an ongoing running joke between M. Night and Kanye West because um, Kanye had mentioned um, Unbreakable in one of his early songs, Through the Wire, in 2004. So there's a scene where James McAvoy's character is asking Anna Taylor Joy's character, do you listen to Kanye West? And that was kind of a nod back to that reference in the Kanye song. So I thought that that was a cool little touch. And also, this film takes place in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is M. Night Shyamalan's hometown. I love how he pays respects and he is willing to shoot his films in his hometown. It shows he has hometown pride. But yes, this film is great. It, it, it is a phenomenal film. One of my top five M. Night Shyamalan films, definitely. I love this. I love this movie. I, I really, really do. I actually remember before it came out officially, there was a screening at a film festival and someone was like, just wait, there's this like really big moment in it. And I was like, of course there is. It's probably going to be some twist. But um, nothing, nothing could have prepared me for what the twist was. That was a good one. I said, all right, you know, that's uh, that's Sixth Sense level Kamala there. there. Um, but aside from that, let's just, Let's say the twist wasn't even there. As as a movie on its own, it's so well done. Um, and, and to this day, I think that one of the biggest, you know, like cardinal sins of, of the Academy not nominating him for a best actor. Uh, because because that performance performances actually were just amazing. Like he he's he plays um Kevin so well in the different um people um that um, in his uh, did uh condition that are just phenomenal performances but also it did introduce me i saw a witch later it introduced me to anya taylor joy and i thought oh this is a phenomenal actress i can't wait to see what she does next and um it has been a it's been a well joy seeing her career since then um Flourish. Um, I think this is a really, first of all, it's a really well-directed movie. It's incredibly tense. Um, keeps you on your toes the whole time. I saw it with a friend of mine. I think we saw it opening day. And um, there were not a lot of people in the theater because it was the middle of the afternoon. It's Friday. And um, even then, throughout, you could feel like that tension in the room. You know, it's like we were constantly like on pins and needles wondering what the hell is going to happen. Especially whenever Patricia would show up, you know, you'd just be like, oh, <laughs> 
that's not gonna <laughs> go over well, you know. And then every time Hed uh, Hedwig would show up, it was like, yeah. so it was. Uh, <laughs> Let's move on to Glass. Uh, well, Glass is uh probably the biggest disappointment I've had with M Night Shyamalan. Um, uh, yes, Last Airbender can be terrible. After Earth can be boring. Happening can be mediocre, but this is the film that I was most looking forward to when it came out in 2019, and for it to do what it did, it just felt like a like a shot in the heart. Um, there are good elements with it, there especially the ending. I think the ending was well done, but everything that proceeds before it, it, it felt like this film is almost tethered, is not even tethered to Unbreakable or Split. The only reason why is because there are mentions of Unbreakable and Split throughout, but it doesn't feel like a soulful connection with those other two films. And and this is in it's another case of M. Knight kind of getting in over his head when it comes to these films. I think he had a perfect opportunity to be able to close out this trilogy with a respectable with respectable um book and ending, but it just didn't it just didn't really fulfill my expectations. But I do know a lot of people who enjoyed this film, and I respect that. But for me, it, it's the biggest disappointment of his career, in my opinion. Wow, that's, that's um, big words. I'm going to hit you guys with an unpopular opinion. I really like this one. And um, I'll, I'll tell you why I liked it. Because I kept thinking about it from before the screening happened. And I actually saw this at a very early screening of the movie, uh, and this was uh, before release. And I was watching with a friend of mine who was a big fan of um, a lot of the Shyamalan stuff, and also had similar opinions about the ones that were not great. And we were talking about it, like, what exactly could this third one be, the inevitable conclusion? And the first thought we had was, I'm hoping it's somewhat of a deconstruction. I hope they take what is essentially supposed to be a big finale, and bring it down to what it really is, what Shyamalan can do. Because I don't, because I don't expect Shyamalan to do an Avengers finale. I expect him to do something which is much more grounded, which is much more small, uh, which is small scale. And that way, I think he did a really good job. I think I, I like the fact that we focus so much with these three characters and sort of trying to understand each of them and then eventually building it into something. But I also like the concept that it was sort of an origin story because it's like the world doesn't stop with these characters. It doesn't, it's not just these three in the world who are like interesting in terms of powers or abilities. Like, you know, there's more out there than there's now this um, version of Hydra in Shyamalan's world, which is taking out supervillain heroes. Um, but yeah, I kind of, um, yeah, I thought, I thought it was really interesting and a, and a very unique way to do things. I get it didn't work for everyone. I totally understand that it didn't work for everyone. But again, I think it was a, pretty pretty strong conclusion again unpopular opinion but i don't i just i i remember being really excited about this one because i wanted to see david dunn back and see what he was up to and i think they you know he sort of wrote himself to, into a corner needing to finish this trilogy and do that and it was just maybe if bit off more than he could chew with that but i remember being disappointed i was really sad about the way that the movie ended so i didn't really enjoy that but I did appreciate seeing all those characters again and the idea of having to bring them back. And that really does make you appreciate the writing on something like Avengers Endgame, trying to bring all those characters to get together and how to do that effectively. Um, maybe that's not a skill that M. Night has. But that leads us up to Old, which is 
his final film for this, um, which is on HBO. Uh, I know this one is has, you know, detractors and it has fans. And uh, I think this is another one where I'm very mixed about it. I liked very much the setup. I thought it was really terrifying. Some of the body horror is really scary. He returns to these themes of having these characters thrown together. But again, some of the dialogue was super awkward, especially when everybody's like announcing what profession they used to be. Um, so yeah, this one was was enjoyable for me, but yeah, it, and it also went on really long, I feel like, and didn't tie some of the threads together. That is, I don't really remember much about it, honestly. I, I should revisit this one again, but I just didn't have time. I'm going to agree with every point you just made about this film. It's, it's another film that has a, a promising concept. Um, I remember watching the trailers and I was extremely hyped for this film. Uh, you know, coming off the of glass, I was expecting for M. Night Shyamalan to get back to doing a sense of horror. And this felt right up in, in the wheelhouse of that. And I was excited for it, but coming off of it, it felt deflating once again. The concept is promising. The cast is great. It's a it's a great group of uh, character actors. But once again, M. Night Shyamalan just can't seem to get out of his own way when it comes to these stories. And, and, and the twist, <laughs> the twist is another, it, it's, it's, it's just another corny attempt to try to recapture the magic of the sense. And, and, and I'm starting to get the feeling that M. Night is becoming too comfortable with putting himself in his films. Now, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not here to tell the director what to do. You know, it, hey, it's your film. Do what you want with it. But him being a prominent part of this film just felt so off to me. And, and you know, and, and I felt like it was just an excuse for him to just have some FaceTime and people to remember, hey, I'm M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> but, um, but no, it, it's once again a film that is disappointing. You know, there are, once again, good elements. It's not terrible. Uh, it, it just feels like another film where M. Night is trying to recapture some magic instead of just giving us a good story. Um, it, it's a film that I have wanted to go back to, but every time I even think about the runtime and the thing about how it just climaxes itself, it, it just really scares me away from even trying to even give it another shot. I actually did a podcast episode on this movie too, uh, when it first came out, and um, we were just talking about it. Like I think 70% of this movie I really, really like. And I've seen it a couple of times now. There's a set, there's the first two thirds of it. I'm like, this is, this is solid. I, I mean, there's some questionable things here and there, but I'm ha I'm enjoying it. I like the concept. I like how it's going. I'm I'm intrigued. I was there was a tense you know feeling through it, especially as the aging accelerated and you started to see some stuff. The scene with um, uh, what is it? Ab what's the actress's name? Um, Ab Abby. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Um, that moment with the, the body hormone where she goes like the bone density collapses thing, I was like, that is that's freaky stuff, you know. And I I loved all of that. I think once the twist happened, I, I think that's where the 50-50 thing came up, where it was like, oh, you're either gonna like this or you're gonna hate this. Um, but on watching it second time, I was like, Yeah, you know what? I still don't like it, but I respect what you've tried to do but i i do think overall it's a movie that has some really really good highs and some really really great stuff in there but not my favorite Shyamalan movie but i do like it more than what 
like more than I dislike it. I think it's it's overall fine. So we've talked about the highs, we've talked about the lows. It's gone up and down. We've got Knock at the Cabin coming. We're all going to see it this week. So I'd like to know what you guys hope for this story. What do you what do you think we have coming with this? Are you thinking it's going to be a hit? What are you hoping for? What do you dread? Where are you at with Knock at the Cabin? Um, for me, I like to come into any film um, with a clean slate. I want I give every film a shot. Uh, I just hope that M. Night Shyamalan just can deliver a thriller, um, a thriller that is paced well and that really brings together some strong themes. I'm already liking the ethical dilemma that he's that the characters are placed in, whether these characters have to figure out to sacrifice themselves for the good of humanity or whether they want to just not and have the rest of humanity killed. It, it is a crazy ethical dilemma that I'm pretty sure is going to spark a lot of conversation. Um, I know friends who are familiar with the book, and they are kind of worried with where M. Night Shyamalan may take it uh, with the adaptation. But for me, I, I'm I'm ready to give it a shot. Um, I'm excited, and you know I, I don't come in with any dread. You know I'm coming in with all good vibes for this one. I hope M. Night Shyamalan can deliver once again. I'm I'm just excited. I haven't read the book. Uh, but I'm very excited to see it, and uh, I I'm ex I mean I'm excited to see Batista in the role because I think he's a really good actor. I've seen him in a lot of stuff stuff now, just to know that I'm I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to the table, um, and as as an actor continuing to evolve in the process. Um, and it's another isolated movie. It seems from Shyamalan, which just seems to be his wheelhouse. He's good at this, so that is what makes me more excited about finally seeing the movie. Um, I haven't seen much from it. I saw one trailer, which was I was even I was even trying to avoid that. The only reason I saw it is because it played before Megan. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited for the movie. Um, don't know much else beyond that, and um, I hope it's a good one. This movie seems to be hitting all of his elements of his wheelhouse. We got the isolated setting. We've got the family. We've got the sort of end of the world morality. And uh, I am looking forward to seeing David Batista in another role. We also got Rupert Grint is going to be in here. You know, Ron Weasley, who's been working with M. Night on yes. Servant. Um, and and kind of increasing his, the types of roles he can do. So it'll be nice to see him in yet another type of role. And they have a good working relationship already. So that should be interesting. One of the things I'm kind of dreading is that I have read the book and I already know what happens according to the book. So I'm like, do I already know this story and what's going to happen? Because this story was very much a great su a, a suspense in its own right that you were not sure at all what was going to happen. So it is sort of perfect for M. Night, but since I've already read the book, have I ruined it? I've had a couple people who've also read the book say they are fairly certain that M. Night is going to put his own twist on it or won't do things exactly like the book, which is great. Is that what your friends, what do your friends think who have read it, Kales? Um, They are, they are having the same fears as you have just stated. They are worried that M. Night Shyamalan might become a little bit too uh, giddy with putting his own little stylist, um, stylistic touches on it. And, but you know, I I don't really have a problem if a if a movie decides to change you know an ending or an element of its story as long as it acts in the betterment 
of um, the story itself. I mean, we just saw a great example of this, and you know, I hate, and I'm going to be a shameless plug, but The Last of Us, the The Last of Us last night, where um, there was an element of the game involving these two characters, but in the show, they were able to pivot away from what happens in the game and able to do something different with these characters, and it turned out amazing. So I, I, I'm never going to be the one that's going to say that I, I, I'm not going, I'm afraid that, you know, changing something from a book or adaptation is going to be a bad thing. But, you know, we'll just see what the end product will, will, will deliver. I just hope that it's in the service of making the story better instead of instead of trying to get a corny little um, change of um, pace. I'm okay with them not uh, changing this book because I didn't like the way book the book ended anyway. But um, oh, okay. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I I just hope that I just don't want the story to be spoiled for me. I want to get to enjoy a fresh story. I guess is what I'm saying. Any other last points before we end this thing? What for better or for worse, M Night Shyamalan. I'm glad that um I'm glad that he is still working and making films. He's a director I definitely admire, and I'm very grateful for the movies that he gave us that we did love. He's definitely changed the course of cinema and impacted my life as a viewer and made me helped me fall in love with movies. I echo that statement, and once again, going back, bringing it full circle here. Um, <laughs> I hope he continues to make more movies because I want to see more unique stuff. I want to see his vision more on the screen, regardless, again, of how it goes. I'm always going to be there day one to see what he's up to next, to support one of his projects. And um, yeah, um, nothing's going to change that necessarily for me, even if it's a few bad movies along the way. Both of you guys are absolute trippers for sticking with this this long so why don't we all share our channels and sign off so Kalesa, let's just start with you uh well you can follow me as black nerd magic you can follow me on twitter letterbox instagram you can follow me on facebook my real under my real name Kales davis and that's spelled c-a-l-e-s-s -S. hey i'm always down to make new friends and talk about films so feel free to give me an ad and uh, you can find me by my name across every platform. I'm on YouTube. That's where my channel is. If you want to follow me on Instagram, Snapchat, even I don't know who uses it anymore. But you can find me under the same handles across the board. Um, if you come over to the YouTube channel right now, we just were talking about The Last of Us. There's a full season review over there. So you can check it out. See my thoughts on the whole show. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of my stories, of course. You can find me on all the channels at one of my stories or one of my stories.com. And mainly I've been going through the show 1899, which we're very sad it was canceled, but I've been mm -hmm. recapping those episodes. So that's what I've been doing over my channel. We hope to see you guys. Please subscribe, follow us so we can continue to give you more great content. And let us know what you are thinking will happen with Knock at the Cabin. You can leave comments here on any of the panels or you can leave us comments on Twitter and start a conversation there. We'd love to hear from you. And I'm going to go ahead and sign off. This is Lindsay from one of my stories. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night. Good night. Thank you.